This episode is brought to you by Asona, manufacturer, distributor, and installer of acoustic decorative ceiling and wall finishes. Asona has a passion for innovation and believe in bringing new materials and products to market that are attractive, acoustically efficient, low in embodied energy, can be renovated and recycled locally, are fire safe, durable, and that offer customers design, life cycle costs, and service advantages. If you're in the market for beautiful and effective acoustic solutions, give Asona a call or visit the website www.asona.co.nz. If you're a musician looking for some lower cost acoustic solutions, ask Asona about their lower cost end of stock products that are available through Trade Me or by arrangement. www.asona.co.nz. Welcome to Don't Give Up Your Day Job, the podcast, the only podcast you need. My name is Danny, and today on the show we have Cassandra Teese, director, playwright, performer, and co-founder and director of the Wellington-based Red Scare Theatre Company. She's recently been directing the stage play Single Asian Female, starring Michelle Law. I actually came across Cassandra by reading about her in the news, and I thought, she sounds interesting, so I reached out to her. Um, she agreed to be on the show. We recorded this episode via Zoom because she's based in Wellington. I had a feeling going into this episode that Cassandra was going to be uh, a very um, quick and intelligent and impressive individual, and I wasn't wrong. Um, I had a great time talking to her. We really got into it. We really uh, went behind the scenes of, um, you know, comparing our two worlds, actually, music versus versus putting on stage productions. Yeah, I really enjoyed this chat. So this is my conversation with Cassandra Tees. Now let's do this! Don't give up your day job. Yeah, so my surname is a bit complicated. It's very anglicised, so uh, Tees, rhyming with peace. Oh, right. Uh, okay. So it's not, it's not phonetic at all. Um, yes. Yeah, so... That must be a whole, your whole life, people getting that wrong. Oh, generally, yeah. It's, uh, people, yeah. Then, like, the harder you try to do it correctly, the more wrong it is. So <laughs> don't worry about that. What are the other attempts people um, say? Because I was thinking, because it's T. People generally go T or share or say lots of different ones, which are all like, I mean, it's from the Chinese jia, which somehow got turned into the English tees, which are very different from each other and somehow combined to the spelling, which is sort of between those two. And is this one of those things where you were frustrated about it in the past, but eventually you just had to go, whatever, it's going to happen, I can't change it? So I always correct people. So I always correct people to tees. So I've also very embarrassingly corrected people on live radio and in graduation ceremonies. So I generally correct people. Right. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> more embarrassing for them than it is for me so it makes me wonder is, is this a, a, an outcome of you being a director or is this a, 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 are you finding your way to directing just an outcome of you having the right personality for it I mean clearly you have to be you have to be the sort of person that uh, will correct things that are wrong right. to be a director <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just making little little tweaks yeah. little tweaks and fixes yeah. until the very end when you're like I can't do anymore right exactly you guys just go and I, and, I, yeah. and I don't know how 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 um, similar our work experiences have been. Um, mm. I've been a band leader and, and produced shows and things, not directed plays, but, you know, more on the musical side of things. And mm. and I'm the sort of person who will pick up on the, the little things and this needs to be straighter and this needs to be tighter and this needs to be this or that. And sometimes it's been great, but sometimes you get resistance. You know, there, there mm. are 
cultural elements um, in New Zealand by culture, I mean the way that we interact with each other and a certain easygoing nature and that mm. sort of thing, um, which can make it difficult. That rock the boat. Yes, kind exactly. Of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Is that something you've come up against? Um, I don't know. I think um, I feel like my difficulties sometimes in in directing. I think you just always have to work out at the start of a process what language you're speaking with actors, right? Um, because. Yeah, I, I come. I actually come from musical theatre background, gotcha. so I have a lot of experience sort of working in kind of more of a musical space as well. Yeah. Um, but also direct a lot of straight plays, like Single Asian Female. Um, and yeah, I think it's the start of every process. Generally, particularly when you're working with people that you haven't worked with before, mm. it's working out how to make sure that you're speaking on the, the same language as them. Because I think a really ineffective way of directing is to just do the same thing and just keep yelling at people and like <laughs> yeah. saying the same thing older over and over and over right. louder and louder yeah. until they try to work out what you mean because you know that's not that's perhaps maybe a traditional way of directing a very sort of like angry I'm the boss type <laughs> of way of doing things right. yeah. but I don't think it's actually very effective I think it actually can lead to uh, resentment and misunderstandings and generally a worse product than if you're okay, like okay so what i'm saying is clearly not the same language that you need and yeah. that you need to be spoken to so let's come together and work out what i need to say to help you get to the space that you need to be in to do this the way that i'm wanting you to do it um but how do you do that when there are different personalities in, in the in the production yeah so it's often it's like sometimes do it with different personalities and a lot of directing is managing a room of people so it's mm. about like making sure that everybody is getting on with each other and sometimes that's really good like single asian female i've been really blessed to have a group of six people that are really really lovely yeah, right. <laughs> and just are really like on each other's level and like really working together but i definitely have in the past had like actors that are like work really really differently mm. have totally different um ways of working like i i work with like I cast a couple of years ago where I had one person who was like, got to just keep going over and over and over. No many, we can never do too many rehearsals. We can never go too much. And one person who, because of the other jobs that they were doing at the time was like, look, I just can only be in the headspace for work for like an hour. Like, you know, it's three hour rehearsals. And he's like, I can get like one hour out of that. And then <laughs> after that point, I'm just, he's just, it's declining you know diminishing returns right but that first hour would be so great yeah like and I, i'd sort of like you're gonna you've got to work out how to balance those energies and make sure that those people aren't getting pissed off at each other because one person's saying like why are you working me to the bone when i am exhausted <laughs> and the other person saying why are you being so lazy i need to do more rehearsals <laughs> yeah. um and both of them it's a totally legitimate way to work but you need to somehow work out how to balance that right um and end up getting a good product out of it and yeah so different personalities is one thing but it's also just how you communicate what you want from somebody because me saying okay so can you do this a little bit more like okay so she's like a wild uh, lion and she's going to attack you and you have to be really cautious around her so mm. that's how I want you to do this scene and that might work for some actors and then for other actors they might that might be a bit too like weird or the, the, the metaphoricalness of it. it's a bit confusing so they need to go to They're more literal more Stanislavski style like you know I cower yeah. I, <laughs> and use like more sort of vocabulary words right. or they might want to yeah, and it depends on the actor, and I think flexibility is so important as a director to be able to choose how you're going to communicate with all those different people. And I'm guessing this is something that there's been a lot of trial and error over the years. Like, do you have memories oh, of definitely. things going horribly wrong and you know, <laughs> <laughs> those defining moments? You know, I try to think. Of, I don't know if I've had an, uh, like a show where I'm like, oh, this was like this one went terribly. Like, I think the there's only one show I've done where um, I was like regrets about this show, right, yeah. and it was more about that I was working with a very good friend of mine who had written three fantastic scenes, mm. and I was like, I'm going to put this play on. Great, let's do it. And then he just didn't write the rest of the play <laughs> until we'd got to casting and got to the first read, <laughs> and so we ended up with a play which had three 
great scenes at the start and then a bit of it off the rails because it had been written perhaps one might say the night before. Right. Um, <laughs> but we have remained very good friends since then. I've seen quite a few movies like that recently. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's just one of the things where I'm like, I will never direct one of your plays until I read the entire script again. <laughs> yeah. And we, we, we both know that. <laughs> yeah, right. Because I mean, because I, yeah. I, I started playing in bands when I was 12. And so really, I, I mean, even though it didn't become a professional thing until, you know, later on, um, mm. it's a journey that I've been on since then. And and I've got all these different memories of, of arguments and bands and fallouts between people yeah. and, you know, gigs sort of blowing up on me and stuff. And this is all the, I think it's a necessary process to go through in a way to learn all this stuff. You know, mm. these days we have a very peaceful and professional environment that we work in, but I don't mm know how I would have arrived at that without all of those experiences, you know? I feel like you've got to try all the different ways of working yeah. and you might realise like, okay, that's not how I want to work um, because you've tried it out. Like, I mean, I'm a, like most directors, I came to theatre through acting first right? Um, and I still act and perform a lot of stuff. Um, and so that means that I've had the chance to work with lots of different directors. Yeah. Um, and that's really helpful for me as a director to have gone through lots of processes from an actor's perspective and know like okay that really worked for me and then like okay that really didn't work for me yeah. um and yeah there's a whole lot of different things which i think would work for other actors or would work for other processes but i know just when i'm directing a show that's not the space that i want to create sure. um whether that's to do with like oh actually like this person yelled at me and it was really nasty and i don't want that to toxic environment but also things like just the way that this person structured their rehearsals was not how i like to structure things yeah. um you know when it's it, that can totally work for somebody else but not for me yeah i'm at that point too where i'm just like any, anything toxic i'm out i'm not interested it's just mm. not worth it to me yeah now, you i know? think it's it's that we're not paid enough in no, the arts right. to, <laughs> to be also working with people that we don't like working with, yeah, I think. exactly. So, yeah, you want to just be like people that really enrich your soul. Yeah. <laughs> so do you feel like you have to relate mm. to, a, to a story or to um, a character to, to really engage as a director or, or as a performer as well? Yeah. It's actually been really interesting um, because Single Asian Female, um, the show that's currently on, is the first show that I've ever directed I think like first full show that I've directed in which um I wasn't like I didn't read the script first decide that I really wanted to direct it right. and then pitch it to be produced as a theater this is one where they had already programmed this show they needed a director and then they contacted me and oh, said like yeah. hey we would really like you to direct this yeah. which is a really different process for me and it was actually quite um you know difficult quite challenging yeah. uh, I think it's a really good skill to have done and to have developed now <laughs> um, because yeah, normally I would be very much like I read a script or I, we, my company, Red Scare Theatre Company, um, we take submissions generally at the end of the year for next year's season season, mm -hmm. and we get lots of people sending in scripts, um, but we also read quite widely about stuff which is um, happening overseas and things like that. And usually all the other plays I've directed, it's either been something that I've written and then I'm directing, which is generally not my preference. Uh, my preference but uh you know it's a good way to get things up right, or yeah. it's something where i'm like i just love this play i really relate to this character or i really relate to the situation or just i really think this is beautifully written and really moving and it inspires me in all these ways and i want to put it on yeah um whereas this one was one where they were like hey we've got this play we've already programmed it um and we thought that you'd be a good director for it and so my process coming into it was kind of like okay i've read this play i like the play um i think that i would be good for it like i mean it is the first sort of main stage chinese new zealand play that atc have put on mm -hmm. and i think as like a chinese new zealander um i felt a responsibility that i think i would like to do this because i i you know feel like if i say no i don't want them to then go to a director that might not have the cultural background to sure. to fairly take this on so yeah. i feel like i've got a particular responsibility to take it on um 
but I had to sort of work out, okay, so where, what's my vision for it? Like I didn't right. read it and immediately say like, okay, I know what it's going to look like on the page. And in fact, this one was a really complicated one because it's written very much like a TV show in a lot of ways. It's like, we're in the bedroom now, we're in the restaurant, like in terms of the way that it's stage spaces are set out, gotcha, it, yeah. it's very televisual. Um, it's just kind of written like it's going to cut to, now we're in this space, cut to this other space. And it's very realist, right. um, which was something that didn't hugely excite me um, in, its, in its staging. And, and so, yeah, where we got to for our actual show um, and alongside my design team is like a really, really hugely different take on it, um, which is much more abstract. Right. Uh, and getting that from the page to our ultimate vision of the show, which I'm really happy with, I think is just really beautiful mm. and really much more interesting than it was written on the page. Definitely took a lot of work and a lot of generation and trying to think about like, okay, what do I love about this stuff and what do I think we can bring to the fore um, without having to be really, really literal. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that was, so I was really, I'm, I'm really happy that I've done it. I think it was a good challenge, but it was totally different from how I normally work so, uh, so, so <laughs> when how I'm did, reading a play and I, yeah. How yeah. did you actually solve that problem of going from a, a bedroom to a restaurant? Yeah. So what we decided was like, rather than what they originally had was, you know, they just have the big budget of we're going to build a giant doll's house, basically right. we're going to build restaurant we're going to build the bedrooms and people walk around inside there and we sort of have to think first person it's a bit boring secondly just budget wise it's huge yeah. <laughs> it's going to be like the entire budget on that right. and like this is still a much bigger budget than i'm used to working with but not not cavernous mm. um and so uh rachel walker who was my set designer and i um sort of came up with this idea of these moving pieces which are kind of sort of blocks I guess of different shapes and sizes um which can be reconfigured and get moved live on stage with actors using different props and moving them into different configurations yeah. to create different spaces right. um and one thing that we thought was really important for that is that every time you come back to the restaurant it's laid out differently it's not like you're going back to the exact same thing every time and so that way we learn like okay when there are chairs next to the thingies that's restaurant but that doesn't necessarily have to be the same shape every time so gotcha. we're seeing different from different perspectives and different corners yeah um, yeah, and we have this sort of story of our furniture in the show where as we go through the play, we lose a different item of furniture basically each scene. So by the end of the play, we just have a blank stage. Right. Um, which, yeah, sort of uh, it helps um, turn into, uh, I guess it sort of symbolizes what's happening mm. in the play, which is that the mother is closing down her restaurant and packing up all of her stuff yeah. and leaving the country. Um, and so, yeah, it ends up sort of, literalizing that on stage in a really beautiful way so what is the difference between like you were saying it's a very different experience to be picked up as a director for an existing production mm. um how would you sort of narrow down what the difference is because if you're receiving submissions um for potential plays you're, you're, you're receiving written plays so i think um usually i guess it's that it's sort of picturing like okay how would i do this yeah um there's a very different thing to you know, you read a script, you immediately have an idea and you're like, yes, I want to do it. Mm. And you, you picture for yourself like, okay, this is how it's going to look. This is how I want to do this particular bit. Like there's usually like a bit in each right. play, right? Where yeah. it's like, you know, there's a directorial, directorial choices are going to change how that is done on stage, whether mm. it's had a million productions or just one. Um, and so when I, yeah, normally uh, my, my regular process of either just reading random plays and saying like, okay, I'm going to do that one or, um, you know, listening to soundtracks, if it's a musical or getting submissions and reading plays that way, it's really like I connect to it. Um, so my previous play that I directed just before this one, uh, which is just before the pandemic end of 2019, yeah. uh, was a show called Four Nights in the Green Barrow Pub, which was a new play by an Auckland playwright that had submitted to us um, where... 
I read it and I was like, oh, I want to do this in JJ Murphy's in, New- in Wellington, which is a big Irish bar. I immediately was like, yes, we're going to do it inside the pub. Like, even though it's not written to be site specific, I know exactly what I want to do with it. <laughs> I want to add in extra songs and I'm going to put in these, these Irish folk songs in there and everybody's going to be singers and part of the band, even though they're also on, on stage. Right. Um, and all of that stuff was stuff that wasn't necessarily in the script, but it was things that kind of leapt off the page to me as I was reading it. And I thought this is going to be how we, we show this story. Yeah. Um, so then I'm like, okay, then I'll produce it. Whereas it's a different thing to have a script be like, you, if you produce the script, what would you do? <laughs> um, and then had to go, oh yeah. So, okay, let me work it out. Um, which yeah, yeah is, 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 is good to do. And I think it's a great directorial skill to have, but, um, is because I'm in my own production company hasn't really been what I've had to do in the past, which was really interesting. So I'm wondering if I've got like the right analogy here where, you know, if you're a director making TV shows and you're looking at producing a mm. new TV show, you, you can sort of do whatever you want versus if you're brought in to do an episode of a current TV show. So you've got to direct within the theme of the ongoing show. Is that kind of the, is that an, a nice example? Yeah, sort of. Um, <laughs> I guess it's more like if you are directing a movie yeah. and you, you go to the producers and say like, hey, I want to direct this movie that I, my, my mate wrote. Um, and they're like, here's some money. Versus if, you know, uh, Marvel is like, hey, I want you to direct Captain America 6. Right. And, you know, you're like, okay, awesome, cool. Like, you're not going to say, no, I won't direct yeah, Captain America, but you've got, you've got a, a few more sort of existing things that are there that you didn't get to just add in, you know, like you've got an existing framework. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so I think that's how it is more like if you're getting called into a project after the show's been programmed. It's, right. it's kind of slightly closer to that. Yeah, because yeah. I love um, Christopher Nolan. But I've never been into the superhero movies. So, and I know he did Batman Begins and things like that. Um, but mm-hmm. I think, I'm sure if, for those who know a lot about it, they can probably see a signature on the Batman movies, but he's working within the construct of what Batman has to be, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing with most directors. Like, you know, you, you hope that your directorial style is going to still come out, even if yeah. you're working within an existing framework. Um, obviously, in theatre, you have so much more freedom than any film of any size yeah which is one of the wonderful things about directing in theater is that you know you've got the room to to, to really explore and do interesting right. things i can relate to this as a musician because you know there are gigs where you're really free to kind of play your own style and bring your own thing and you, you still work within the structure of the song obviously but um you can you can make your own choices and and it's a very different experience to playing a session gig where you have to sort of know it like yeah relearn someone else's bit you know and recreate something um i don't think one yeah I, I, so it's I think like if you know you decide hey i'm gonna do a concert which is all me doing led zeppelin covers right. and that's your idea yeah. versus if somebody else is like i would like you to come and do this concert of led zeppelin covers <laughs> yeah. and like you're still might be keen but yeah. you know like it's it's not wasn't your idea so exactly. <laughs> you're yeah. like, okay cool great it's been set up for me i'll do it and i enjoy the discipline of both you know like i really enjoy playing and just feeling free and being able to get in the moment and 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 not really worry and you know it's more reactive mm. and all of your influences falling out sort of organically but then there's something really nice about the discipline of learning something and playing it properly, like mm. like recreating a sound. You know, it's a yeah. very different process, but um, it can be very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were you like as a kid? Was this all part of your <laughs> Was this part of your DNA from the start? Definitely very yeah. artsy kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bookworm and loved like going to going to theatre. Loved musical theatre from a very young age. Right. Um, so my mum used to take me to see all of the big musicals at the, you know, St. James and things like that since I was quite young. Um, so I really came into theatre from, from that musical theatre St. James, o- Auckland? Um, 
Uh, no, no, sorry, the Wellington one. Right. It's now under under innovation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the St James one in Auckland is also under innovation, isn't it? I, I've lost um, I've lost touch with it. Something happening with it. Yeah, it's it hasn't yeah, been there's... used for a long time. I know that much though. Yeah, which is yeah. a shame. You know, any theatre closing down is a shame. Wellington's yeah. in such a state right now where. Yeah, it was beautiful working up at the ASB in Auckland, I have to say, because right. Wellington, we really are, are really lacking a size, a venue of that size um, and scale. It would be wonderful to be able to have something like that oh, right. um, opening there. Cause That's a good point. We kind of go from Circa Theatre, which is maybe 300, 400 people, I think, yeah. in its biggest space, um, to the Opera House, which is thousands. Right, um, yeah. And we don't really have anywhere in between, and that's yeah, a really great niche to fill is that 500 seat theatre it'll be very good if any government people are listening to this podcast and would like to give some money to I, the I like, city council to make one i feel like maybe we have um, opposite problems because we've got <laughs> we've got a seat like i've been researching venues loads in the last year for some stuff i'm working mm. on and it looks yeah. like we've got loads of stuff available when it comes to plays and comedy and things like that but what we don't mm. have are smaller venues for bands for artists to play right, like if, right. if you can bring you know 500 to a thousand people then there's loads of options or, or more right but for someone who's starting out who's like so you're gonna get like 80 or 200 people or something like that we've yeah. got we've got almost nothing except for like you know really crappy pubs and you know like it's, just, mm. it's really hard to get started and, I've, I'd... and plus there's different things needed for like a musical for a concert That's or right. any sort of just band gig versus um, what you need for even musical theatre. It's yeah. still, you know, you need much sort of different size and scale and, and different resources for a theatre project than you do for... That's exactly The great right. thing about bands, though, is that you can kind of do a gig in the corner of the pub and it's still like, <laughs> you know... Yeah, but that's, know, I mean, that's, along, that's what we have and that's what we sort of get mm. out of it. Like what we should ideally have are, are places where... Um, they've got better insulation and, you know, a better audience experience and, you know, they don't have the bar. Acoustics or the... and everything. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just having a fight over the people at the pub, right. you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if the drum kit is, is, you know, bouncing all around the room and the bar's right beside the stage and all that kind of stuff, like, you're mm. really, it's hard to put on a good show. And so what we what we tend to invest into our musical culture, especially in Auckland, is that kind of band in the corner mentality. And um yeah, and, and it's hard to go from that to you are paying to come and see me specifically. Exactly. I'm not just background music, but exactly. I am the headline act, which That's right. yeah, everybody is wanting to get to that, right? Yeah, yeah. And in other cities I've been to around the world, there are different size venues for different levels of where mm. an artist is. So, I mean, in, in LA, there's lots of little venues where you can, you know, have 80 pe- people in a room and it feels great and it sounds great, and you can build it up and go to the next thing. And if if obviously building an audience is a difficult thing to do for anyone. Um, but if mm. you are able to build the audience, you can do it more organically. And I really wish we had more of that in Auckland. I, I'm under the yeah. impression there's more of that for music in Wellington, but I don't know for sure. I have to say I'm not a huge authority on, particularly yeah. because your theatre venues versus band venues, it's slightly different. Yes. I mean, working, there's like, Bats has got multiple different um, small theatre spaces. We've also got Griffin, which is a small theatre space. Mm. Circa 2 is a small theatre space. Tapara Iti and Te Oaha is a small theatre space. Um, but then I'm not sure if any of them would program like just gigs and concerts sort of right. stuff that's more just music. Yeah. Um, though we also have like, I guess like San Fran and Hunter Lounge used to have Bodega and Meow and all of those places, which are more kind of band spaces. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. San Fran's cool. Which is. The Loden's not cool. San Fran's great. But the, um, the experience <laughs> of playing there is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you've got to take everything up the stairs, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One day, mm. someone's going to create a venue where there's not a bitch of a load in, and, and the acoustics yeah. are good, and the layouts, it shouldn't be that hard, should it? 
This was honestly like they have a you know there's a there's a there's a lift like a proper cargo lift yeah. at the ASB Waterfront Theatre. I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> I Normally know. I have to <laughs> lift <laughs> things up the stairs, and it's <laughs> can all come in. Like I've actually had um you know I, lo- I do a lot of shows at Bats in Wellington. Yeah. And Bats is lovely. I love Bats. It's a great space, but it is very much you know a renovated old like old hall from right. some like uh, sort of I think it used to be like the Royal Antediluvian Order of Buffaloes right. who were uh, a sort of older gentleman's club from the mid 20th century. Yeah. They owned the building. They sold it on to Bats um, or to Peter Jackson who rents it to Bats. Um, and so there was no space in there for a lift. <laughs> and so it is an entirely inaccessible venue, like yeah. really, really bad for like, you know, just patrons in wheelchairs that want to see anything. You have to like, go on a stair lift up the stairs yeah. and it's and you know you can't really fault them because they're just there's no space they're in this not a purpose-built <laughs> theater space they've managed to put all these theaters in there but it's not where it's going and you know it just sucks every time you have a, a show on those upstairs things you have to carry the timber all of the <laughs> right, yeah. things up like two flights of stairs if you're at the top theater yeah it's an amazing <laughs> it's everybody all hands on deck it's an amazing experience i've done a whole lot of um shows in the past touring theaters and and um playing just acoustic guitar you know support act and that mm. sort of stuff and it's an amazing experience when you go to one of these venues that is made really well and you don't have to worry about like an excessive load yeah. or anything. And you get to the green room and you go, I feel weird. What, how do I feel? And you go, oh, yeah, I'm relaxed. I'm relaxed. I'm not <laughs> I'm already not tired. tired. Yeah, exactly. I'm, not, I'm not exhausted <laughs> I'm from having fresh. to carry everything up <laughs> right? the stairs. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then being able to sit like <laughs> in this quiet space backstage before you go on, it's a dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we were lucky we didn't we you know we had multiple dress rehearsals for this last show which is always a you know it's, yeah, <laughs> it's a real bonus bonus yeah yeah so you're Not um, just one half an hour before the show <laughs> yeah exactly so so yeah. you're um into it from when you were a kid uh were you mainly focused on acting or or writing or like was there a um I definitely, so I was both into writing and into acting, but probably separately for mm-hmm. most of my childhood. Um, and then I sort of got into writing for theatre when I was in high school um, and I was in drama. Um, right. Did a lot of drama class. I did, yeah, um, drama scholarship as well. So I did like extra classes once a week with my <laughs> drama teacher in year 13 um, with just the two of us um, and ended up writing a monologue, like a solo play, you know, that's five minutes long, five, 10 minutes long or something like that for yeah. um, one of the assessments there. So I think that was my first play that I wrote technically. Cool. Um, and I really just enjoyed and it felt like, yeah, I think it became more and more important to me as I went through high school. Um, and I, you know, I did my first sort of adult outside of school play when I was 17. Um, well, I did one when I was a kid as well, but <laughs> it's, um, you know, other than being a child in The King and I, which I did, you know, in Porudua, where I was the only Asian. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, of all the Siamese children. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it was sort of from that point when I went to university, I was thinking about what degree I wanted to do. And um, I knew that I wanted to go to Vic because they had a really good um, sort of English literature and theatre departments. Mm. And I knew I wanted to major in those. And I also wanted to do stuff at the International Institute of Modern Letters, which is the creative writing school that's there, okay. which is very, um, yeah, uh, well-known and, I guess, prestigious. Uh, right. And so yeah. I was really excited to to do some classes there as well. And I'd sort of signed up for a law degree at the same time. And then after first year, I was like, well, I could just work really hard and do this law degree, or I could work less hard and do all the things that I want to do <laughs> and want to actually have a career in. 
and focus on my theatre degree. So I just dropped it after <laughs> after first year. But my brother did law instead, so he's oh, right. now a lawyer. So he covered it. He covered it for you. He, co- <laughs> he covered the law half yeah. of what, things. Were your folks um, supportive of, yeah. of pursuing the arts? I think they definitely felt like I should have a backup of right. some kind, which I think is usually the parent, the parental thing. Like my mother's been, uh, has always been really artistic. She's a kindergarten teacher mm-hmm. um, and well, is retired now, but was a kindergarten teacher um, and used to, play the, used to play the guitar and sing songs and things like that. So right. I get a lot of my creative side from her. Yeah. Um, my dad's much more uh, scientific. He's a, he was a chemical engineer Wow. Um, for his training. So that was, um, yeah, where he did his degree. So much more sort of maths and science brain um, yeah which i was also good at maths and science in school so i feel like they were like oh you know you could do these other things and i was like i just don't like those (laughs) (laughs) i don't like that yeah um so yeah i think they were kind of you know you should do other things as well but happy for you to do this and then i just kind of started like i started red scare my company um when i was in third year university Mm -hmm. um and it's kind of grown from that into being you know a lot of my time yeah um and that was definitely um, I think because I started it while I was still at university, it had already kind of was underway by the time that I graduated. Gotcha. So yeah. at that point, it's like, okay, well, I already know, like I've already got made, made sort of inroads in doing theatre as a career because I'd already kind of started when I was in, in training. Right, yeah. Um, which I think is a good way to be. Do, do all these things before you are too, before you know enough to be intimidated by <laughs> That's them. That's right. And before <laughs> yeah. you've got too much to lose. That's what happened to me. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> the idea of having something to fall back on, I mean, that was definitely uh, said to me a lot as well. And I saw a lot of my definitely. friends, a lot of my friends sort of bought into that idea and they, they seemed to get distracted along the way and they fell out of music. And I always, mm. I always thought, well, surely if you're going to do something, you've got to give it everything. Like to, to, to get something to fall back on surely dilutes your effort and your yeah, potential output, I was right? having a really good conversation with one of my friends the other day about this, who is one somebody that collaborate, I collaborate with a lot yeah. um, and has a day job, but also, you know, has done a lot of professional theater as well. And is really, really fantastic singer and um, musician. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, she was sort of saying that she, she did the whole, like, you know, I'm not going to study that stuff at university. I should have like a sensible career because you kind of get that absorbed into you mm. when you were in high school. And we were talking about how, like, you know, the thing about New Zealand is, even though we are a small country, in some ways that's a positive and a negative because it's a negative in that like, oh, you know, it's, um, yeah, like we don't have as many audiences and things like that. All of the really, really big markets are overseas, but also it's a positive in that if you work hard and commit yourself in New Zealand, you can get to the top because, you know, there are fewer, ba- like, there's fewer layers, to, right. like there's fewer yeah. runs that's on the right. ladder. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, you can actually really stand out in New Zealand if you just commit yourself to whatever practice that you want to do um, and really throw yourself into it. Absolutely. It's, it's possible if you if you put your mind to it, really. I've never really bought into the idea that, you know, we're a small country and therefore something, something. I've always thought, well, yeah, but mm. we're a small country with like five million people in it. You know, there are loads of countries. Yeah, we're, we're a smallish know. country, but we're not yeah. that small. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And, and yeah. there are, you know, out of 5 million people, you don't need 5 million people to be your audience. You, you know, you can, you can have a legitimate business with, with 1,000 people in your audience. You know, so it's, it's just a, I think it's a bit of a cop-out that we have. Like, oh, no, we're a mm. small country and therefore, you know, lower your expectations. Why? You know, Peter Jackson didn't do that. Yeah. You know? And I think that's that, that you, New Zealand is pretty well known now for having a lot of really and and a lot of different arts and filmmaking and music and and, and lots of different areas uh, different people that punch above their weight right um and yeah it's 
people know of New Zealand and know of New Zealand famous people right, <laughs> from other other countries now. It's not like a, you know, people have never heard of this country. Yeah. It's just that, yeah, we have this sort of sense, this mindset that we're really small, but we're actually not that small. It's like the physical landmass of New Zealand. Yeah. It's like people think of the, like New Zealand as a physically small country. And it's like, we're actually quite, you know, like big, like, you know, we're the same size as like England, Japan, like exactly. all these other like That's island right. nations, yeah. which... Yeah, and and at the same time, <laughs> we also have this completely different attitude when it comes to sports. When it comes to rugby, we expect to be mm. the best. You know, no one goes, "Well, we're we're a yeah. small country. We're not going to compete very well." Like no one would say that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole like I remember I I lived in New York for a year right. after my um the end of my degree, and I was talking to their um I was interning at this interning at this theater um and I'm talking to the um sort of the mon- the the marketing fundraising people mm. um about how where they get their money from for this off broadway theater and um they were sort of comparing it to I was talking about how I do grant applications and stuff like that back in New Zealand yeah um and you know I mentioned that often when you've got like lotteries funding things you're kind of competing against all these local sports clubs mm. and they were just astounded because <laughs> that's just not a thing no in America and like in the states like the arts funding and sports funding are just t- separate, you know, <laughs> like yeah. there would be no situation in which it's like, oh, should I give this money to this small theatre show or to like pay for uniforms for this local rugby club? <laughs> yeah, like those right. are not in the same, <laughs> connected in any way. Yeah. Because I also guess don't have the weird lotteries funding system we have, which is also very odd. It is. Um, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> but, the, yeah. but you're right. And they seem, I don't know if um, entertainment is a bigger industry than sports in america i i wouldn't actually know. yeah i would probably yeah. say they, they're both pretty huge yeah. but kind of similarly huge yeah yeah <laughs> but, I, but i noticed that when i first started to going going to la is just in in every just in general conversation there was a different amount of respect for the arts you know like mm. to say that you're in the arts people would take it seriously they'd go oh great cool like as, as if you had just said you mm. own a business that oh great you know business owner brilliant and 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 yet yeah, it's here not it's not the sort of like, like oh no. yeah well yeah. how what does that you know yeah. how does that much does that pay you exactly exactly <laughs> kind of thing yeah <laughs> so you started the company Red Scare what does Red Scare mean by the way where'd the name come from uh, so Red Scare uh, is kind of I guess a tongue and cheek name which uh, just comes off the sort of the socialist Red Scare from the um, mid twentieth century it's right. well, the first show that we did was like a political satire so yeah. we were like oh well we're both socialists let's do a like fun <laughs> let's do a fun name so we were Red Scare collective at the time um, gotcha. and then we realized that theater collective is probably not the right word for how our company structure right. works so we changed to red scare theater company yeah um but yeah it's been going on since then we still maintain our socialist ethos and that whenever we um you know we, we pay people we try to pay people for this, the same rate for however many hours they work yeah um which you know is like generally the goal to get to but also we generally don't get to the goal where we've made enough money for everybody right. to be paid enough yeah. for the hours they work so they will get at least paid the same as everybody else right and um, we did profit share usually which is um how most theater productions sort of go so yeah it's all dependent on how much money we make in ticket sales but we want to try to be evenly distributed um amongst everybody that works with us because we've got so many fantastic artists that we collaborate with well what are you contradicting are you contradicting an old model there um, so I think that it's pretty, it's, it's closer to the standard model, yeah. uh, which is co-op, I guess. But one thing that we sort of have built in since 2017, 2018 is a base share co-op, which mm. is, so rather than just getting a split of all of the profit things and we don't do like double share, like sometimes they'll be like, oh, you know, the designers get half a share and the director gets a full share. And right. I'm like, no, right. we just, everybody's the same. Yeah. Um, but also we 
we'll put in a base fee in there. So it's like, okay, so you have $200 and then you have like whatever we make on top of that. So you know that you're never going to have negative money yes. <laughs> for doing the show because yeah. people are always going to be having to pay for parking and like that's right. buy meals out when they're at the show and things like that. And so we feel like there's going to be at least like a couple hundred dollars for everybody that's just in there to be like, that's covering your parking fees. That's covering those things. Yeah. Um, and then the co-op profit goes on top of that. But we also have a model where we're like, okay, so if anybody ever gets to living wage for the number of hours that they've worked on the show, then that money caps at that point and then these go to these people's living hours. It's a very complicated right. like, contract <laughs> structure, which is trying to make it so that ideally what we end up with is everybody gets paid living wage for all the hours that they've worked on the show, which yeah. so far we have not managed to make in terms of the amount of money um, just because we have generally about 10 or 12 people, I'd say, 10 to 15 people mm. um, working on each show. Yeah. And we, you know, are performing in Wellington <laughs> for $20 <laughs> per ticket. So right. yeah. math mathematically wise, it's hard to do that. But we actually did a podcast last year, um, which was our first one, where we actually were like, okay, we can pay everybody really fairly for their time, which was fantastic. You can pay people to be um, in a podcast? So we had a, we got, yeah. So it was because <laughs> of the Arts Continuity Fund. So shout right. out to CNZ. Um, it was one of the things where we were like, look, we can't do our standard um, theatre production because mm. we, you know, theatres are closed, it's COVID times, but we can do an audio drama. And I had this audio drama that I'd already written and I'd had it sitting there for about two years in a drawer yeah. uh, and had gone, oh, at some point I would love to put this on, but I don't think we'll ever get the money for it because right. yeah. nobody pays anybody for podcasts. And CNZ realized, you know, we, we had to kind of lobby them, but thankfully some people in, inside CNZ, I think, stood up for us, which was fantastic. Um, and said, hey, this is a sort of theatre that can be done under pandemic conditions, um, so we should fund these guys, which was fantastic. So we ended up being able to pay um, myself, uh, our director, audio engineer, musical director, 10 actors, uh, I think, no, 12 actors, two lead, two of them are leads, and um, you know, the other 10 were all like uh, smaller one-episode characters uh, and a couple musicians. Um, yeah. And it was, yeah, people were getting paid like $500 for one day's work, which I was like, <laughs> yes, this is exactly what you should be getting all the time because right. it's so good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, which was really, really cool. Yeah. And it was, yeah, I, it's one of those things where I'm like, please may this pattern continue, CNZ. <laughs> <laughs> With the approach to the, the, the monetary side of the company, do you feel like this mm. is like an innovative approach that you're taking or sort of like a problem solving thing? I think it's all just sort of problem solving. It's everybody is kind of working out to the best of their ability, how they can pay everybody as fairly as they can yeah. and themselves um, and, you know, try to not make tickets a $1,000 um, right. because, I, you know, I think people don't realise, I mean, you're talking before about how much people value the arts in yep. New Zealand. Mm -hmm. I think people don't realise how subsidised their tickets are mm. when they come to see a theatre show. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, the fact that you can generally come for $20, $25 to most of our shows um, so, you know, someone's getting up to twenty five, thirty if we're in a bigger venue, right. <laughs> a fancier venue. Yeah, it's still like thirty bucks is not a huge amount of money when you think about like the amount of time and labor and like rehearsal venue hireage and costume costs and That's set right. materials and all of the things like the the thousands and thousands of dollars that go into making yeah. that show, which is on for maybe five days. Like you know, it's 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 really um a lot of labor that goes into making these things and it, it is just it's hard to earn that money back mm. um and so that's why yeah grant applications are really kind of the lifeblood of our company in a lot of ways um and yeah it's all kind of subsidizing those ticket costs because right. we also don't want to restrict our audiences to just the people that can pay 70 dollars a ticket right yeah. because yeah i'm not really making theater for those people necessarily <laughs> no, you want it to be accessible right exactly and so yeah. you're wanting to sort of say okay how can we make this as accessible as we can mm. 
but we also have to recognize like that that is a subsidy like you know that whether it's one city council that's giving us money to help get those tickets lower or yeah. if we've got um people that are just sponsoring us and, and donating money to the company or if it's cnz or whatever like that um it's how we can try to keep things accessible as possible so people can actually see our work yeah <laughs> well i don't know if the if if the world you work in is is um is freer in its thinking or if it's more sort of generally speaking stuck in its ways but the music industry is completely stuck in its ways and mm. it takes a lot to get yourself to the point where you can think differently and problem solve differently that's the type of person that i am and it it mm. works to my benefit but it also backfires on me sometimes um but where yeah. but the the model of the the financial side of the music industry is so bizarre and just most of the time mm. people lose money you know and i'm personally yeah. so sick of it <laughs> you know so like with oh, the yeah. with the show that we put on recently we were trying to solve a lot of the same problems like okay we rented a theater these are the costs of the show we sold tickets for $35 um, a ticket mm. we thought maybe that was a bit cheap but we'd try it out um we we broke even on the show and made a profit so we succeeded in that sense and we did very well on ticket mm. sales even though we didn't have a proven track record it was a brand new show so we had nothing to sort of mm, back mm. it on um at the same time as you know the the time and energy that goes into it is enormous and so the yeah. little the little bit of money you make at the end you go well I, i'm glad we love it because it wouldn't have made any sense as like a business venture you know <laughs> yeah i think it's yeah I can't remember where it was. There was a recent survey about like how much the actual hourly wage is of an artist that's right. like a working artist in New Zealand, and it's <laughs> it's, it's something like it's ridiculous. It's something yeah. like less than ten dollars an hour. I think it's yeah. something you know. So <laughs> <laughs> if you work out the average of the amount of hours people put into the stuff versus what they get out of it, but which is just one of the one of the telling one of the telling moments for me was what we had done was a, a combination of film and music, live music synced to a film. And cool. we had built it all ourselves, right? Um, so it was very indie. It was very much an organic indie production. And mm. one of the things that, uh, one of the comments that came from a partic particularly negative person was, well, you should have had the film color graded. And I was like, yeah, that would have been great. And you're like, and, and, and I'm like, how much would that cost? Great. Did you want to do that for free? Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, do you, do you understand yeah. we're trying to do this within a budget? And, and the guy kind of looks at me like I was crazy. Like, what do you mean? It has yeah. to be perfect. And I think that this plays into a problem in some ways in the mm. arts. Like, where, like where is that, that punk rock mentality gone? Where, you know, mm. and, and, and it has funding inflated this problem where people are actually able, especially in music, to just blow money on expensive studios. Money they'll never expect to see back. But that changes the, com the mm. competition in the market. Yeah, you know I think I mean? there's always something, I mean, interesting about what people expect to see yeah with money as well like i know for from the theater stage and it will generally sort of um stage productions I, I remember talking about this in my degree with one of my professors who mentioned how like you never see an opera where they've gone for a really really minimalist right sort of thing right you know you don't see like it's just black stage and we're just going to focus on the voices because a lot of the people that subscribe to the opera they're like well I paid a lot of money for this. Where is my stuff? I want <laughs> yeah. to see the stuff that I paid for. And it's like right. the stuff you paid for is this incredibly talented singer that's yeah. doing that, you know, has, they're getting paid for their time. Right. Um, <laughs> and of course, that's where all of the costs go in the arts, right? It goes to people's time and labor. Mm. But some audiences don't necessarily realize how much that is of the budget. They expect to see the things. Right. Um, and they're like, yeah, where's my color grading? Where's my, yeah, you know, exactly. like I want my, the, my, my things. Um, and it's just a, a lack of, I think so. There's a lack of understanding necessarily of like how much manpower, like how many hours of work and labor right. goes into making a, one of these things, and and also like 
that labor shouldn't be minimum wage labor like you know a really yeah. skilled actor a really skilled musician like any of these sort of artists it's like they they shouldn't be being paid twenty dollars an hour That's they should right. be being paid sixty dollars an hour right. because yeah. they these trained professionals yeah um and that's yeah it, it's kind of convincing people that that's where the money is gone <laughs> right right um, can be quite difficult sometimes i think even the ticket price to see the bigger things like we had a few people yeah, exactly. we, had, we had a few people tell us that our tickets um were too cheap at 35 and we said well fair enough we're just starting out we just we just tried yeah. it you know and for the next one we'll probably put them up a bit um i noticed mm. another very very well-known band is doing a thing in a week or so and they were charging 42 dollars a ticket and it mm. really surprised me because they're big enough that i thought they would have charged more when, when you say that your tickets are 20 to $25, like, mm. I completely understand what you mean. Like, you're trying to service a particular part of the market. You want to be accessible. Mm. But at the same time, but at the same time you'd it's, be it's lucky to buy lunch. We're subsidizing. Yeah, yeah we're you, subsidizing your, your, your experience to yeah. such an extent. But it's because people can't afford more, is the thing. Because a lot of the time, if you're, your audience are other artists or yes. other people that are also fairly low income, it's, um, it's the thing. I saw a really interesting... Um, like I said something on Twitter the other day, which mm. I really liked, which was a show that had set all of its ticket prices at like, please pay your hour, like one, the worth of like how much you were paid per hour, like one hour's worth of wage Interesting. for your ticket <laughs> as a pay what you can thing. Yeah. Because I'm like, that's totally it. Because like for some people, that's $100. For some people, that's $60. For some people, that's $20. Right. And it's like for the amount of work that you do like you know that that it should be the same it's the same percentage of your income really right it's the same it's an hour of your time yeah um what's, but what's minimum, yeah, minimum wage these days do you know i think it just went up to 20 right um yeah yeah that's yeah. really that's a really uh, interesting way to frame it isn't it your your hourly yeah. wage and yeah like what's one hour of your of your wage as a professional yeah you know? and it's like also that means that like you're you're like hey i'm i get paid 20 i only work 20 hours a week and i'm on minimum wage it's like right. cool pay 10 dollars. like yeah. you've got no money come in <laughs> right. but like you pay you earn 60 dollars an hour then come in for 60 dollars, please <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> and because i was i was going to ask about the 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 business model of um of your company and sort of you know how it all works mm -hmm. and and it doesn't surprise me to note to find out that there is funding involved um, because that's obviously oh, yes, that, that's obviously a big part of the arts yeah. in, in New Zealand. Do you think, though, uh, general audiences would be surprised to know how much funding currently holds the artistic industries up? I think so. I think people don't realise just how much, you know, like if you're getting a good wage for something, how much of it is comes from either government funding, mm. private investment funding, yeah. Fundraising, yeah, um, or like yeah, local local government funding, things like that. Right. Um, we get we spend so much time in the year applying for grants. Um, like I spend, I've got my big grant calendar right in front of the wall <laughs> over here, and I can see like in the in you know it's now May, and I've definitely myself personally put together one, two, three. I think four grant applications so far this year wow. for various things <laughs> and it's just like and like big ranging type things where it's you know you're not just filling out like a hey here's how much money I would want please like here's the thing but you have to go and get like letters of recognition uh, recognition like write right. up um like you know big sort of uh, sort of pitch documents for mm. your piece and you yeah. know get everybody's CVs together in a folder and collate all of your reviews from your previous <laughs> things it takes ages and ages and ages um, and so that's yeah, it's a, a big part of running a theatre company is is grant applications. And is that some, is that something that that you're <laughs> just at peace with, or do you even if just hypothetically, do you think long term it would be great to get to the point where we're we're 
successful enough financially that we don't need anybody. We can be self-sustaining. I think it would be fantastic to be able to do stuff without anybody. However, yeah. I, I think from a realistic point of view, from like a theatre model, I think it would be different potentially for a band model where mm. you're not necessarily having to buy a whole, like a set construction right. and like have a, you know, rent out a rehearsal venue and things like that. Mm. Um, but from a theatre model, I think even like the really big theatres, you know, generally get lots of grants, but having just worked with Auckland Theatre Company, for example, right. which is like one of the biggest, most well-funded, um, you know, sort of state-of-the-art theatre companies and prestigious theatre companies in the country, yeah. they've got teams of people that do that. Right. You know, it's not the artistic director that has to do that stuff. <laughs> They've got a huge thing of stuff. I mean, that was one of the most incredible things working on that show was just I would like they have a rehearsal room there in their space. There's a huge wardrobe room. There's a huge props room. There's like a place for building things. Yeah. There's a second rehearsal room. There's a kitchen. There's a staff room. There's an office. There's all of this stuff. Um, and you're in the middle of a rehearsal and you go like, oh, I think they should have a laptop in this scene. And then the stage manager just walks out and comes back with three laptops and says, like, which one would you like? Would you like? From the props room. And if none, if you don't like any of these, then we'll get another one. Wow. And it's, yeah, like, we can find one for you. And it's, like, the fact that they've got this stuff here, whereas, like, you know, in my normal sort of practice, because we're on such a low budget, you know, we're in a, a hired room. Mm. If we need a laptop for the thing we're miming, and then it's, like, we write that down. We've got to borrow a laptop from somebody. Or, like, has anybody got a broken laptop? We'll use it for the show. <laughs> like, you know, and that's... <laughs> You know, in two weeks' time, we're going to finally get that. We've borrowed it from a mate, and, yeah. you know, in exchange for a, be- a bottle of beer. Like it's um, it's all sort of yeah, big borrow steel to try to 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 get your things together. Right. Whereas like just the ease of being like, oh, we need a jacket. Go to the go to the wardrobe room and get a jacket. Right, <laughs> is it's really good. Um, and just the level of resource makes things so much easier, which is yeah. <laughs> wonderful. One of the one of the stereotypes that goes with the arts is that artists um, are not necessarily that savvy when it comes to business and, and and that side of things, which I used to think was probably true, and now I actually quite disagree with that premise. Mm. And because I think I meet yeah, I keep meeting people I've, like yourself, where you're clearly switched on and on top of the business, but you're also very artistic. Mm. I'm the same, and I, I think at, these days it's required to survive. Yeah, I mean, I would say, like, I, so I'm a producer, I guess, as well as being a director and a playwright and an actor, yes. and I think it's the fact that I do all of those things, plus I teach as well. Right. Um, that's how I have a job. That's how I'm able to work in the arts full time, yeah. is because I do, like, four different jobs, and one of them being a producer means that it's, I'm the person that's having to write grant applications and yeah. make budgets and all of that, sort of do contracting and things like that, and I, I did not train any in any of those things. Mm. Like, I, I learned how to do that. I probably did like a little bit on theater budgets in my honors year, right. but I'd already had to budget shows before that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just sort of all trial and error and you, you, you fuck up a lot yeah. and then you get better and better at it um, because you kind of have to, you have to learn how to do this. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I'm really proud of with Red Scare is that we've been able to produce some playwrights who are not producers, um, who are just playwrights that have written good plays, mm. which is, all you really should need to be able to do to yeah. be a playwright, honestly, you shouldn't have to be able to do all this other stuff. Right. Um, and that we've been able to put their work on and present it for an audience yeah. um, without them having to be the person that has to get the money together and has to, to find the team and all, form a company sure. and all the rest of it. And that's usually like the vast majority of theatre companies have probably go for about two shows mm. and then they fold. And they're just made up because it's a group of mates that want to put something on for Fringe. Right. <laughs> and they make a company, do their first show, it's a Fringe show, they do another show later on, and then they just never 
they just never do any more more things right. and it's because yeah. it's really hard and it shouldn't be something that you have to do it's just that our because we don't really have any other way for your work to get seen as a playwright mm. most playwrights end up being playwright producers or just having their plays sitting in a drawer waiting for someone to pick it up which is, is yeah it really sucks because there's a lot of people who are really talented playwrights who aren't really talented producers but they shouldn't have to be <laughs> in That's my right. view yeah. they shouldn't have yeah. to be good at all the rest of that stuff um yeah. do, and i'm so lucky do you feel... that because i have a theater company i can do it yeah, yeah but do you feel unique like along the way have you felt unique because you can work in both of those spaces I feel like there's a few of us out there that have got these sort of skill sets. I think it's kind of the thing where, you know, if you are, you know, several, I think eight years on from the founding of our company at this point, like mm. if you persist, yes. then you'll get better and better. Right. If But if you've got that fallback, then it's that thing we were talking about before, you know, if you've got something to fall back on, you'll fall back on it. Right, that's right, um, yeah. Because you can, so you'll do that instead. Yeah. Um, and so if you really want to make this your main thing that you are going to devote your life to you're going to make a career in then you have to work out how to do it um and so i think there's a lot of people out there and i'm sure that most of the people on your podcast kind of are this in some way yeah where they're artists that are working artists that have just hobbled together you know cobbled together all of these different jobs and all these different ways of making a living in the arts um whether that's, you know, doing a whole lot of little jobs, which is what I, I do a lot, yeah. or it's, you know, from from self-producing their own work and having to work out how to do that without having to, to go begging to a big theatre company and saying, please present my play. Totally, yeah. Which, um, yeah, is, is, is hard because they've got their own agendas and they, you know, don't necessarily want to produce something by somebody who's not very well known. Right. Um, and it's that catch twenty two where if your plays aren't produced, you don't get well known. That's so right. then you don't get your plays produced. <laughs> yeah. It's the cycle. <laughs> yeah. And it keeps circling back around to um, the same point that always comes up on the show that having the the, mm. the the talent, if you like, or the skill is is only a very small part of the puzzle. You can't. I mean, being a great guitar yeah. player is awesome, but what are you going to do with it? Mm. You know, it's got. Yeah, you got to get it out work somehow. Out, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. How do you get people to actually engage with your art? And you right. can't just, you know, like if you're sitting and making fantastic stuff in your room, mm. like, and I think theatre is one of those those forms where it's it's wonderful in some ways because there is a really low barrier to entry for theatre compared to a lot of different arts, sure. right? Like, yep. you know, to put a show on, you know, you've got a lot of spaces where you can put a show on for a really low budget if yep. you don't worry about making money from it, <laughs> um, you know. You can do a show for 20 bucks yeah, um, yeah. and, you know, take it, have it on profit share with bats. Um, it's just that, you know, you want to keep going and getting better at it right. and getting your thing seen and getting out there. Um, but it's hard to make that your living That's if right. you are going to only be doing that stuff. So you still need to, to, to work out a strategy for how to get your things properly seen, I think, properly presented. In line with that, another question I have for you, <clears throat> because, again, we've, we've tried to tackle this with our recent work, is... Where do you mm. land these days on marketing? What do you think are the most effective marketing strategies? Because I've personally noticed that a drop off in social media's effectiveness. Where so yeah, um, I am actually really lucky because the other half of Red Scare is my partner James, who is a um, who does this basically is our head of marketing wow. and does all of the, the all the marketing stuff for us. Yeah. So he is um a director and a writer and a an actor in his own right, mm. but he's also a self trained a self trained marketing person. And publicist um and one thing that he does a lot of he does a lot of videography um which is generally for social media um but rather than just being social media posting like what he ends up doing is it's almost like short documentary right so he does a lot of like 
backstage videos um, where he will interview people but present it in a really interesting way. So it's more about telling the story of behind the scenes right. than it is about just like, come see our show, come see our show, come see our show. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's sort of like, how can you let people into this by almost creating a story in another way? And so, yeah, he sort of sees it like the most effective marketing is documentary in a lot of way. It, it's like when you, when you see a really good interview with somebody, yeah. you might want to see their show or whatever. Um, and it's because the stories that they're telling and they seem like a really interesting person yeah. and you can get so much more out of that than you can out of like, um, you know, like we just told you why it was good. Right, right, <laughs> so, yeah. You know, he's like, somebody said marvelous, somebody said fantastic, you know, all of those things. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how do you actually tell the story of this piece of art? And yeah. I would imagine it's a similar thing with, um, you know, anything with music or any mm. other type of art, really. It's finding out the story of behind the scenes. So does he make which, lots of little know, short, like two minute? So he makes a lot of like, yeah, like one minute featurette things right. for most of our shows. We'll do a couple of those. We do you generally do a lot of social media. Um, photography is also really important. We have a um, sort of uh, not exactly in-house photographer, but the same photographer that we go to that we've been with for um, like, yeah, four or five years now. Yeah. Um, who is just fantastic and will always do like a really good um, like sort of prom promotional shoot. And then we'll do some uh, dress rehearsal shoots later on so that right. we've got some like stills of the show when it's on. Um, I think images and stuff like that are, are generally like a really good image is so compelling, but also a really bad image is like the worst thing oh, you yeah. can do yeah. for your show, I would say. <laughs> so it's a hard balance. Find somebody that you trust. It's like, yeah. I think the best marketing money spend is on a really good photographer that knows how to sell you in the right way. Right. Yeah. Um, as opposed to like uh, bad photos just is, is not good. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's better to have no photography photography than it is to have like your mate with their really shitty phone yeah. has taken some photos totally. of you guys in rehearsal <laughs> and it just looks bad. Um, yeah. So I guess there's always that with, with, with marketing stuff, but you know, like I think, um, Social media is still useful, but it's difficult because like there has been, yeah, I think you're, you're right in that there's been a bit of a drop off mm. in just where you can put social media advertising and like what people will engage with. Yes. Um, but at the same time, um, unfortunately for us in Wellington, there's this problem with street posters where we only have one real street postering company. Right. Um, which is Phantom Bullstickers, and they have a real monopoly, so they charge really exorbitant prices. Right, yeah. And because they've got a monopoly on it, it's kind of, it, it kind of sucks. It means that everybody has to kind of go to them. So, <laughs> so someone needs to start a new poster company in Wellington then. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, if, there's, if you wanted to start a new poster company in Wellington, yeah. I'd be really <laughs> happy about that. I used to just do the gorilla market that we'd always right. make glue and like go out in the middle of the night and poster up our posters. Yeah. But they'd get covered over by the next day these days. Yeah. You can't do it anymore, which, yeah. is, which sucks. We used to do that back in the yeah. day for, for gigs you know mm -hmm. and i used to wonder what the, yeah. what the point was with you know two in the morning sticking stuff on po on um on our lamp post and i think like who's going to look at this and go yeah i'll go to the pub and watch this random band play <laughs> yeah <laughs> do, do you use any conventional marketing like um radio newspapers you know any of the old school stuff we have like we try to get publicity more yeah. than marketing so I, I don't think we've ever paid for an ad in right. any of those things but we've been in the paper a lot yeah. and we've been on radio quite a lot but generally it's you know you have an interview and you send somebody who's interesting like i end up talking <laughs> with many radio things i just love interviews interviews are fun yeah. i just like chatting yeah. as you know um, <laughs> but it means that yeah so you, you just sort of send people out to sort of tell the backstage story of your of your show sort of talk about what the behind the scenes story is yeah um and yeah it's it, publicity is just as good as marketing but it doesn't involve money so that's right. really good it's finding out what your hook is i think yeah like, yeah particularly for theater and stuff like that it's i would say it's probably easier sometimes to find a hook than maybe 
as a band, it might be harder to be like, what makes us different from other bands in our same genre? That's exactly but right. But if you can find a thing which is like your hook, then that's going to be, yeah, whether it's like, you know, a particular personal story that's like, oh, this is, we wrote this album, it's based on this, mm, like, you know, yeah. relationship I have with my dad and it's this, you know, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Like, let's talk about that. Um, something that can hook and will make people interested Point in wanting to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's going to be so much more useful than just like, we're really good, I promise. <laughs> yeah. Please come see our stuff. That's definitely yeah. true. That's definitely true with bands. I, I've thought about that a lot over the years, uh, promoting gigs. Mm. And it's like, what, what's, you know, why would someone come to my gig over someone else's gig? You know, and I think it's a really yeah. important, it's a hard question to ask yourself because often you ask yourself that question, you think there's no good reason, you know, there's no good reason why anyone should come to my show. But I think that's really important to look at it mm. that way, you know, and, yeah. and you can, you can problem solve. Yeah, and I mean, that's the sort of thing I think about with programming theatre as well, is yeah. like, why should we put on this show over another thing? And if you don't have right. a good reason, then I would say don't put it on. Like, there's no right. reason for it. And, exactly. you know, it's like certain, you know, old revi like revivals of, you know, like, you know, we don't need that many Shakespeare's. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do we, do we yeah. need to have Shakespeare all the time? Like, <laughs> you know, it's and, that sort of thing where I'm like, is there a reason why we need to put this on right now? <laughs> right. Um, and I've noticed on the um, yeah. subject matter, and, and, and you brought it up, um, that in a lot of your work, there seems to be sort of socially conscious subject matter. Uh, and I wondered if that was something that was intentional or if that was uh, just sort of worked out that way. I'd say I, all, I, I'm of the strong belief that all art is inherently political, mm -hmm. like that this, any type of thing, any song, any painting, yeah. any piece of theater, any book, anything, it's like inherently there is something political within it. Right. Right. Um, and you know, if you try to be apolitical, that's a political statement in itself. That's right. And yeah. so because I'm really aware of the politics of my work i try to make sure that the work that i'm making has a political stance that i agree with so i guess that's that also comes back from what we were talking about way before mm. about you know when i choose to program something as a director producer it's often because i have read it and i really love what it's saying and i yeah. think that it's an important thing that needs to be said and that i want to be the director to help bring it into the world right um so that often has a political factor to it as well um or you know as a writer obviously you want to be writing things that have a political message that you agree with as a person yeah um and so yeah I've, i feel like that is reflected in my work but i would say that even if you find you know even in works where it's not necessarily like you don't look at it and go like oh this is a really political play like i i would say that there is an underlying political message in there right. sometimes yeah. which people might not immediately pick up on but is, is is part of what makes sometimes that political message subversive right I love yeah. what you just said that to be apolitical is a political statement. You know, oh, I, yeah. I think um, yeah. I think a lot of people choose, and, and not just about politics, but I think a lot of people choose to sit on the fence and try and remain neutral and not rock the boat and that sort of stuff. And I've always thought that's just as, if not more detrimental to a situation than to say oh, something. Oh, definitely. Like, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, neutrality is, there is no real thing, such thing as neutrality, because right. neutrality is just saying that you are not for or against either thing, yeah. and therefore, you know, that you are not, that you don't care about this thing enough to have either of those sides yeah. think that you're on their side. And so, like, if you don't care about the subject, that says a whole lot to me about, like, <laughs> what you value as a person. Not only not, yeah. <laughs> like, not yeah. only not caring, but also tolerating. Yeah, like what you're what you're ready to tolerate from your audiences. You know, like yeah. if you're, like, you know, yeah. I mean, in a, I mean, <laughs> I mean, in a broader sense, like if you're witness to some awful behavior and you don't mm. say something, 
you're basically validating it. You're basically saying, okay, I accept that. If you're a witness to, yeah. you know, racism or sexism or something like that and you stay quiet, I think that you're part of the problem. Definitely, definitely. It means yeah. that you're more willing to sort of, yeah, keep the, the sort of uneasy piece of just nobody's rocking the boat, nobody's right. doing it than you are to actually fight for justice. Exactly. Which, you know, is, is, is basically more about being comfortable than yeah. being um, right. I, I mean, it's something like what we are talking about earlier where toxicity in any type of space, I think, it, it just sort of breeds more toxicity That's because right. of those things. Yeah. And I've read yeah. a lot of articles recently about the bullying culture in New Zealand, which I think I always thought of as just being mm. a school thing, but now more and more people are about talking about it being in the workplace. I've certainly experienced it. Hmm. Um, and that's another one where a lot of people go, well, you know, it's not my problem. It wasn't happening to me. I'll just stay out of it. And I, yeah. I, I, and it's because it's the that. easy thing to do. Yeah, I easy. think a lot, cowardice. you know, yeah, it's, it's easy to be comfortable, comfortable, and to not make any waves. That's um, right. But yeah, you, I don't know. I think it's 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 important to to take sides. I think, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's another reason why the arts. I mean, there's so many reasons, but it's another reason why the arts are crucial, right? Because it's yeah, we're we're the one of the few voices in the world which tackles these things without uh some sort of influencing agenda hopefully <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah, we're, we're, that's been yeah. that's been one of the um really wonderful things about um doing single asian female i yes. think is that it's a real comedy it's really really laugh out loud funny mm. um and because of that it means that people come into it and they don't feel necessarily super confronted right. at first and they're like oh you know this is like oh it's funny it's sort of it's all sort of get you jolly get along and then you know, it is a fairly long, like, uh, like wide-reaching play, and yeah. it gets into some really complicated and really dark territory. And because it set you up with that comedy at the start, I think it really just slides in and and it will be a bit more effective than if it was a real like agitprop with yelling at you about don't be racist from the start. <laughs> yeah. And it it's like because it it starts with that comedy and it helps you get you get to know these characters and you're all, you sort of feel like you're all um. Yeah, you're on side with everybody. That when you get they get to those moments, uh, I think it's much more effective right. in sneaking those political messages in at a later point. Um, once you've yeah you've already sort of been there. There's a a really awesome um theatre maker called Jacob Rajan, who has this thing that he always says with his um theatre about uh you open people's mouths with laughter and then you sneak the <laughs> you sneak the serious stuff in while they've got their mouth open. Yeah. Uh, which yeah is as I think just a fantastic philosophy for work. That's how I feel about making theatre as well. I love that. I totally get that as well. I, yeah. I've actually thought about that a lot in the past about artists like the Beatles and, and comedians like Billy Connolly and people like, you know, all these sort of hmm. different um, examples of where they can often say very profound things. Billy Connolly would often be very profound and, and mm. make incredible um, statements, you know, about society. It would really get into something. But the way that he would mm. frame it would take the edge off it. It would sort of welcome you in. Yeah, and it's not threatening. People aren't sitting there like, because if you come in with that sort of, yeah, more angry thing, and sometimes that's totally legitimate. Totally, I think it's yeah. also, there's definitely a space for a more like outwardly yes. aggressive and angry, and it's especially good for expressing the rage right. when you need to express it. But people will sometimes put a wall up yeah. when they have that, whereas if you start with the comedy, you start with friendly, then people will engage. And then that means that they're much more open and amenable to thinking about some stuff that they might not have thought about. Before, I think um, I think I think that yeah. rage, the example of those rage um, moments or mm -hmm. those, those extreme sort of one-dimensional emotional mm -hmm. moments, um, you're right. They're totally le legitimate, but they usually also need a legitimate trigger. Like they need to be a response to something that's happened. So people can kind of go, yeah, okay, they're completely pissed off, but fair enough because this thing happened, mm -hmm. you know. But yeah, uh, yeah, and I think sometimes it's fair to be in like you know. Uh, sometimes I've gone to some space, like into to some pieces which are just like, you know, like 
I'm just angry about the world about this thing and I want to just like shed my frustrations with it. And yeah. sometimes you identify because you're like, I'm the audience that also yeah. thinks that this is really fucked up that's and right. I care about this and I think let's all express our anger together. Yeah. So I don't want to say that that's not a legitimate form of thing, but it's probably not the best for changing minds. It's good for when you've got an audience of people that share those sentiments, Right. Yeah. but it's not so good for if you're wanting to like convince anybody of anything. It's just kind <laughs> of a fun like, yeah, fuck the patriarchy, like let's smash stuff. You know, it's which is great. It's a lot of fun, but it's not necessarily the most convincing type right. of art, I think. And as a writer, do you yeah. find that writing is for you as a cathartic process? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I I really enjoy I just I yeah, I I, I really like writing. Um it's one of those sort of yeah, I think a lot of people say like as writers that they like having written, mm. but they don't really like <laughs> writing. I actually would say that I, I enjoy the process of writing, but I don't know if I necessarily find it cathartic. I find it more sort of like exploratory. Like right. I feel sometimes when I'm in a really good writing space, I feel like I'm just hearing the things happening and I'm just transcribing. Yeah. Like I feel very much like I'm a vessel for recording things down. Right. Um, particularly writing, yeah, sometimes just dialogue and you're just you're getting it out of the way. And sometimes I think the really magical moments with writing for me, like I'm a real plot and structure person. Mm -hmm. Like I really love, like I, I will lay out all the plot before I write the play. Yep. Like, and I'll, I'll try to do the whole sort of like, uh, yeah, I will sort of write down um, a summary of the play before I, before I do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, treatment is what you'd that know, sound, yeah, that sounds you call sensible. it. Um, which, you know, as many people don't, many people are just like, I just blah, 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 blah. And then I edit later right. and I'm just very much like a, my first draft will be very close to my final draft. <laughs> right. Um, which means that my, my pre-production is so much longer <laughs> than a lot of other people's <laughs> and then my actual writing is really fast yeah. because I've done so much pre-production that I've got nothing left to do. But sometimes you have a moment where you realize that there was something you set up that fits perfectly in the plot and it solves all of the things that's really elegant. And it just feels like it didn't come from you. It feels like it came from somewhere else. Right. And it's like, you know, it's where you feel like that divine inspiration thing, I think, yeah. as a creator, um, where you're like, I don't know how this worked, but somehow this thing worked. And it's just, that's the most exciting feeling. I yeah. think it's less cathartic and it's more like I've explored and I've discovered something within my own piece that I didn't realize. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what I really love about writing. I love that feeling. And, and, and I'm wondering how you maintain the energy for all the stuff like you've obviously got you've always got stuff coming up there's also the stuff you're working on and there's the stuff you're thinking about i mean do you do uh, you feel like you've got a good life work balance so you are you um you i know? mean i'm so, sort of like i try <laughs> i try to spend not too like all my time working i mean i have the problem of like my life partner and my business partner are the same person yes um, so we have a lot of difficulty trying to not talk shop just <laughs> right. around the house when we're trying to do other things. Yeah. Um, so that, that can be difficult sometimes. <laughs> um, but you know, I think you have to have a real extreme, like, you know, really get on with somebody in order for us to have the amount of like, we, you know, live together and share an office uh, <laughs> is, uh, and, and we still, you know, love each other and are getting married, All right. like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> which is good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, I think you've got to have a really strong relationship with somebody for that to, to work Absolutely. Uh, and somehow it does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's, um, it, it's difficult sometimes when you are really passionate about your work to not have that feed into everything else you do. I try to have hobbies that I don't monetize. Right. It's kind of my thing. Like balance, I like yeah. to do, I've just got into watercolors, my most recent oh, cool. one, um, yeah. which just doing some painting, which is really fun. Yeah. Just following tutorials on YouTube and things. <laughs> um, I do embroidery, things like that, where it's just like other things which are good for your hands. You can listen to an audio book and, and sew embroidery for yeah. hours. Yeah. And it's helped you relax in a way that uh, it can be really hard to relax, I think. And, Absolutely. and it's this thing where, you constantly feel like you have to be productive. And so I think hobbies are a really good way for me to, 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 to 
soothe the you have to be productive <laughs> part of my brain without constantly be working. Right. Do, do, do you <laughs> um, sometimes find with your work that you lose energy, that you lose momentum or drive, even if just momentarily? Yeah, I feel like sometimes it's really hard to, like, I try not to do all of the things at once. Mm. Like, um, I find it's really hard to write while I'm directing a play. Um, like, it's just just totally different. It's I think because they're, they're too close to the same part of my brain, yeah. that just doing two totally different projects that are both in that part of my brain is, is impossible. Right. Um, which can be really uh, difficult when you've got deadlines that kind of cross over and things like that. I feel yeah. like acting I can do at the same time as writing, for example. Like those are two different parts of my brain, so that's all right. Like I was in a show once where it was like a season of four different shows that were all getting played in repertory yeah. by the same company. And so I was directing one of the plays, but I was also in another one of the plays. Um, and I actually found like that wasn't that bad. Like it was, it was pretty good um, yeah. because they were just solely like when I, when I was directing, it was like, okay, this is the proper work. I have to think of all these things. Right. I have to be ready to solve any problems. I've got to keep everybody's personalities and you know, all of that sort of stuff. And when I was acting, I was just like, tell me what to do. <laughs> just tell me what to do. I'll walk over there. Great. Like, you know, tell me what to sing cool like it was yeah it's just yeah. something about just following instructions it's very <laughs> it's a very good relaxer absolutely. when you've been having to come up with all the instructions absolutely um so those things different sides of the brain so i can do them at once yeah but other things not so much so are there more shows coming up for single asian female uh so single asian female is still on this week uh, yep. it closes on the 15th of may um so we've still got a few more and i think there's still tickets available for most of those dates right the, <laughs> the um the, unfortunately um, the episode won't be out before the 15th of may ah but, so you know. it will have just been closed so yeah. it's if you missed it then sorry sorry about it yeah um it's a shame <laughs> but that's all good um and then i'm down in wellington i'm about to start rehearsals on uh, a show which i'm performing in and also wrote uh, which is called That's All She Wrote. Uh, it's a cabaret of musical theatre yeah. uh, that's um, featuring songs written by women and non-binary uh, writers and composers. Cool. Uh, which is going to be on from the 7th to the 10th of July. Yeah, nice. Um, so if you like hearing this voice talking, then I'll be doing a lot more of it. <laughs> There's a lot more singing. available. Uh, so, so come and see that. It'll be over at Te Awaha in Wellington. And what's the name of the podcast? Is the podcast still going? Uh, yeah, so I have a podcast as well that it's been on hiatus actually, but we are re-recording an episode tomorrow, oh, yep. so um, we should be back up. Microphones pending, yep. <laughs> um, which is a podcast called Mixed Bag, um, which uh, comes out every couple of weeks. It's me, uh, James Kane, and Matthew Lover Rains yep. um, talking about uh, mediocre films, basically <laughs> films which are neither good nor bad, <laughs> just the weird middling ones in the middle, which is most films. Right. Um, and we have a lot of guests on it. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I also have an audio drama called Apocalypse Songs, which is uh, really awesome. I am really proud of it. Um, and that is still available anywhere you get podcasts. It's a limited series, so it is completed. I love, um, I love the idea cool. of the mediocre film. What's the film you're talking about tomorrow? So we've actually, I think we've not decided yet. Oh. We're going to watch it and then record. Okay. Um, but it's, um, yeah, I think we were looking at Step Up, oh, but okay. there's a possibility that we might do Hook at some point, which could be the one that we do tomorrow. Do you mean Hook is in kind of going for Hook. Robin Williams? Yes, it's in Robin Williams, yeah. because I hate Hook, and a lot of people love <laughs> Hook. And so <laughs> I, I just want to voice my issues with the film right. Hook. That's so funny, because um, I read about that recently. I read people like scathing um, reviews about Hook recently, and I was like... I think it's one of those ones where it depends on like what age you were yeah. when you first saw it. Right. It really just like how much nostalgia you have tied to it. I think just I was a fan of Peter Pan, right? and I just did not like as a child, I'm like, he's a grown-up 
and I'm not happy about this. This is against the whole point of the book. <laughs> He's supposed to be a child forever. So I was just not on side from the very start. Yeah. I can't <laughs> remember it. I would like to revisit it as an adult and see how I how I feel about yeah, it. Yeah, I want to watch it again now um. too. Because I think when I saw it, I was such a big Robin Williams fan that I think I just right. like just you know was into it because of that. But I can't remember how the movie holds up. So I have to go and watch that again. This is the thing. I think... Uh, I feel like my co-hosts have opposite opinions to me, right. so it'll be good to see. We'll have to, to, to fight it out. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out. That sounds great. Thank you so much for your time today. Awesome. It's been really cool no talking. No worries. It's yeah. been a lovely chat. Yeah. And all the best with your upcoming productions. Thank you. Cool. All the best with the rest of your stuff. If you find what we're doing useful and you like this podcast, please do like, share and subscribe and give us a review on iTunes.